I talked to you about the investment of prayer and, and praying through and and man, we had an incredible time. You allowed me to preach a kind of a shortened sermon and then y'all jumped into a time about 20, 25 minutes or so of very focused prayer. And, and that was, it was just, uh, it, was, it was powerful. And I believe in prayer. Uh, I don't believe in just the magical understanding of prayer. Just because you say you pray doesn't mean that it's effective. That's why the Bible says it's the effectual fervent prayers of a righteous man that avails much. But something... Uh, Caught my attention uh, this the, on Monday, and I don't know how many of you noticed it or saw it. Perhaps it came through uh, your news feed on, on social media or maybe uh, just the news, those of you that did. But uh, as of Monday, February the 5th, 2018, the Berlin Wall has been down the exact number of days that it was up. And that just kind of caught my attention. I... I would have been about 10 years old when the Berlin Wall fell. Uh, for 10,316 days, that wall separated East and West Germany. It was a guarded concrete wall that, that, that separated for, for more than 28 years. And it was erected first in August, or, or at least started, if you will, August the 13th, 1961. It was during the Cold War and, and, and it was supposed to prevent the escape and the defection of East Germans into West Berlin which was there and, and the communists were afraid that, that, that they would try to go to a place where, where, where there wasn't communism and they could, they could buy stuff and they could get stuff. We had a missionary a few uh, weeks ago that, that was a missionary in uh, the the. the Soviet Union and all of those those countries that have now and kind of uh, came came as it broke apart. And he told stories. We went out to eat with him after church, and he told stories. Brother Nichols told us stories about uh, there was only one bank that they could go to that would that would uh, handle American money, and they would have to take. They would do it once a month, and they would have to take a thirteen hour train ride to go to this one bank that would give them money. He said one day he. Uh, he needed to get some money out. Of, now, that was when they got their American money and they needed to exchange it. Uh, at one point, and, and I wish my wife was up here. She's down in, in jam, but uh, she could help me out. But at one point, I, I believe he said that one dollar of American money was worth about 900,000, uh, uh, was it rubles, I believe, is what the, the Soviet Union uses. And uh, so it was just incredible. Uh, one day, he, he went to a, a, a Russian bank and he was going to pull some money out. And he needed to pay a $60 American, you know, 60 American dollars. He needed to pay a, 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 a bill for his telephone. And he literally had to walk in the bank with a suitcase full of money because it was so devalued. Uh, one time he had to cash a $50 American check and it wiped the bank out. They had no more money in the bank uh, to handle that. That's what they dealt with. And they, they erected this wall. Those of you that... that uh, are old enough and, and remember all of that and the rhetoric and, and, and uh, Ronald Reagan's incredible address, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Around November the 9th, there was a press conference that happened in 1989 and Gunther was an East German communist official who, who kind of misspoke and he said that they were going to allow uh, people to immediately cross the wall 
and they weren't ready for that. And so at that point, uh, just scores, hundreds and thousands gathered at the crossings. Finally, after hours of confrontation, the confused guards opened the gates rather than use lethal force. And for the first time in years, East and West Germans were able to meet unfettered. And so this Monday kind of brought that all to attention. It brought to attention the 28 years of a wall that stood. It brought, and, and, and different news places would, would talk about it. Uh, almost 5,000 people attempted during those 28 years to escape over that wall. They wanted to get out of communist uh, uh, East Germany and they were trying to go to West Berlin and during that some 100 to 200 people were killed in the process. But, but what you may not remember, it's burned into the annals of history, the, the, the politics, it's burned into uh, the understanding, the things that played a part. But what might not be so easily remembered is that prayer played a part in the dismantling of that wall. And I would like to, to tell you how that that happened. I, I've got this out of a book, uh, kind of adapted, if you will, a hundred Amazing Answers to Prayer by an author by the name of William J. Peterson. Uh, but in 1989, a half a world away from us, and, and while we understood what was happening in the news, we had no concept of the life that they were trying to live. There in communist Leipzig in East Germany, there were four churches that began to hold a Monday night prayer meeting. Every Monday night, these four churches would gather and at 5 p.m. their time, they would begin to pray. Now, political change was in the air, and we can't deny the political and social economic undercurrents of this. And those meetings began to grow. After the prayer meetings there in East Germany, these people would light candles, and they would walk very peaceably down the city streets. They, they, they was kind of doing a gentle protest against the communists regime. October the 9th came about and it's what Germans would call the turning point. The East German government got involved and began to send in police and soldiers to shoot these protesters that had walked out of a prayer meeting. One church opened its doors for the weekly prayer meeting and 2,000 Communist Party members rushed in and took all the seats thinking that if they took all the seats there would be no room for a prayer meeting. Instead, they opened up balconies and opened the windows and they forced those communists to sit through a prayer meeting. Now, some may say it was Reagan's speech. Others would say that it was just time. But I would say that many German Christians believe that it was the prayer that silenced the weapons. For the night that they brought in the police and the soldiers with orders to shoot, not one shot was fired as some 70,000 people had gathered. Now, it started as a prayer meeting. It kind of went into a, a, a political, uh, uh, you know, kind of protest, if you will. But 70 people marched. The next Monday, 120,000 marched. The next Monday, 500,000 marched. Almost the entire population of Leipzig. And in early November, still praying, still having prayer meetings that, that, that sparked this. Nearly a million marched through the capital of East Berlin. Not one shot was fired. 
The president resigned in disgrace and there was soon an opening in the famous Berlin Wall. Now again, some may say, well, pastor, I'm sure there wasn't 50,000 Christians that were praying and you are probably right. But I will tell you this, that the New Republic uh, newspaper reported this. Whether or not prayers really move mountains, they certainly mobilized the population of Leipzig. In fact, uh, uh, during that time, after that turning point, there was a banner that was erected in the city of Leipzig. And while I don't speak German and can't say what it says in America or, or in, in English, it says, we thank you, church. I want to tell you today that prayer still works. We, we like to celebrate the stories in the Bible of, of Daniel walking into the lion's den or being thrown in the lion's den and God shutting the mouth of the lions. And we like to talk about the miracles that God wrought in Samson's life. And we like to look at Lazarus being raised from the dead. And sometimes we put those back into a, a, a just part of biblical history. And does it happen today? Will there ever be another Joshua that can command the sun to stand still? And, and while I don't know if we'll have another Joshua, I would like to tell you that if God did it in the Old Testament, if God did it in the New Testament, prayer still works today. Give me a moment before I start my next uh, uh, story, but let me remind you, is any among you afflicted? Let you pray. That, that it, James is interesting, and, and, and we spent some time last year going through the book of James, and I'm not trying to rehash that, but James spent a lot of time talking about the power of the tongue. He talked about the, the lowest uses of the tongue. He talked about complaining and swearing, but he also named the highest use that you can have with your tongue, and that is proclaiming the word of God, praying and praising God. And that is a privilege that you and I have, is that you and I have the privilege of going to the creator of the universe and praying. And, and I'm kind of convinced, and I look at my life as, as a little example of this, I'm kind of convinced we don't do it enough. I'm not talking about spending time and trying to say, well, I prayed an hour, because to be honest, you could pray an hour and not say anything. I'm talking about realizing the power that we have in asking the Lord and saying, God, what is your will to take it to the Lord in prayer? I'm going to do this very quickly. The word afflicted means suffering in difficult circumstances. Another translation of that is, are any of you in trouble? Let him pray. And I would like to tell you that sometimes your praying does not necessarily get you out of the trouble. For early or later on it says for God gives great grace. Sometimes your prayers allows God to speak into your life and help you walk through that time of trouble. I've learned something as I begin to look over this again. That while prayer can move affliction, if it's God's will, sometimes God doesn't will that the trouble leaves. That's why James says in 4.6, he giveth more grace. In fact, it was Paul that said, I think three times he said, I prayed that God might change my circumstances. But instead, Paul said this, here's what I've learned, that in my weakness, he is strong. One of the greatest things about prayer, and I hope several times through the next little bit I can tell you this, is that prayer is not a way of twisting God's arm. And if that's how you look at prayer, that's probably why your prayers are not effective. 
But instead, through the book of James, especially here in this last part of, the, of, of James chapter 5, what prayer is, is prayer is a relationship with God that allows you to know the will of God so you can pray the will of God. And if you would begin to read that, you would find that is, is exactly what it is. The prayer, it's the will of God. Uh, it's the prayer of faith, the Bible says, that, that, that heals the sick. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 14 says, and this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us, and we know that he hears us whatsoever we ask. We know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. Did you see that? It's whatsoever we ask according to his will. There is an understanding that prayer is finding out the will of God. There's prayer that changes the course of nations. Now, we just talked about that in West and East Berlin, but there is in, in Germany, but there is prayer that changes the course of a nation. James uses Elijah. We, we talked about Elijah on Sunday, but James uses Elijah as an example of a righteous man whose prayers changed the course of a nation. Uh, one translation of the Bible, James 5.16, the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Uh, Elijah didn't just wake up one day and say, you know what, I'm going to pray that it stops raining. God had told him, Elijah, I want you to, to, to I, I'm going I'm to stop the, the, the I'm going to start a drought, I'm going to stop the rain. He had to know the will of God and he prayed the will of God. And when it was time for the drought to end, he was in the will of God when he was there. And one of the things that James is very careful to state in James chapter 5 and verse 17, that Elijah was a man just like you and I. He wasn't perfect. He still was afraid after that. He still became discouraged. But he was a righteous man, obedient to the Lord, and trusted God. And so today I would like to tell you that God's promises and the power that you have when you pray is not just for spiritually elite people. It's not just for pastors and ministers. It's, it's not just for that. It's for anyone who believes in Him. Um, but I, I want to tell you another story that, that I began to, to find. And, and this one, I don't know if any of you get Dr. James Dobson's newsletter, but this was something that he uh, brought in in the uh, February newsletter. I don't know if, if you've paid attention and I haven't watched them, I haven't seen them, I've, I've certainly seen parts of them. But there's two movies that have come out in very recent months. They are historical movies, at least in the, in the beginning. One of them is entitled uh, The Darkest Hour. It, it, it's it's the, the story of Winston Churchill's uh, selection as prime minister. Another movie, and again, I don't, I don't know exactly how accurate this other movie is, but at least is, is portraying the historical events at Dunkirk. Dunkirk was a, a place where uh, the, the, the Nazi Germany had pushed Britain all the way to a tiny town called Dunkirk and pushed them all the way to the, the, the sea, and it was just a matter of time before Nazi Germany destroyed the army of Britain. In this, the darkest hour, uh, they began to talk. I want to take you back, and I don't know how many of you would even be alive or know uh, back then, but let's go back 78 years. 
When the fate of millions and millions of people hung in the balance, it was described in a book, and I have the book here. I haven't read it all, but I've been been going through it. Five Days in London, May 1940, it's author John Lucas. In it, he begins to talk. In May of 1940, the, the political and military situation in Europe was just absolutely catastrophic. Some seven years earlier, uh, Adolf, Adolf Hitler had gained power in Germany and he had began to rebuild that nation up. In fact, on September 1st, 1939, he invaded Poland and he destroyed that army in, in just a matter, it seems like, of days. And then he turned on the rest of the nations there in Western Europe. It was a lightning war that was unopposed through Norway, Denmark, Holland, Luxembourg, and Belgium. And then it came to the, 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 the borders of France and most believed that France was able to hold their own against Nazi Germany. But in just 40 days, France was absolutely humiliated and some 500,000 British and French troops were trapped in that tiny coastal town called Dunkirk and there they faced annihilation. Some 15 miles away, all of Hitler's army was poised. They would strafe and they would bomb the hapless armies below. It was a tragic moment. And I'm going to do my best. I'm not trying to bore you. I I just want you to understand what was going on during this time. And I've got a lot of quotes. Many of them are from this this book. And uh, it it is a very uh, incredible book. But if... It's hard for us to understand it here in America, but it was a panic that gripped that place there in Europe, especially Britain. Uh, Prime Minister Neville Chamberlain resigned and disgraced in May of 1940. Winston Churchill replaced him, and they were staggered. They could not imagine how fast Adolf Hitler had dominated Europe. Never was the Fuhrer any close, ever closer to his ultimate victory than five days, May 24th through May 28, 1940. If they would have lost that army in Dunkirk, Britain would have had no response to an invasion that was coming there in England. In fact, the Foreign Secretary, Lord Halifax, and other British leaders had begun to talk about attempting to to bribe or cut a deal with Hitler. Franklin uh, Roosevelt, the president here in the United States, had even feared, and you can find some of his writings, he was afraid that the British leaders would surrender their entire Navy fleet in exchange for concessions. Appeasement and cowardice were the themes of the day. What was America doing? Well, Charles Lindbergh, as great as he was here, and, and, and we like to celebrate him, but, but he also was a, a part of an America First movement. It was a movement that said we should not get involved in the affairs overseas, and they lobbied the U.S. to keep European conflicts out. In fact, in the following years, Congress came within one vote of ending the draft less than four months before Pearl Harbor. Frank and Roosevelt didn't want to provoke Hitler and there was a shipload of Jewish immigrants and refugees that were trying to get asylum and escape the the horrors there in Poland and, and happening and Franklin Roosevelt would not let them in and sent them home and most of them were executed. It was a bad time. Pearl Harbor was on the horizon. The world was about to be thrown into the bloodiest conflicts ever. Some 50 million people would die in the next five years. But in May 1940, 
Sir Edmund Ironside was the chief of the British Imperial General Staff said this is the end of the British Empire. Joseph Kennedy, the U.S. ambassador to Britain, father of the future president, he did not like Winston Churchill and, and had even made it public that England had no chance to resist Germany. King Leopold III of Belgium says the cause of the Allies is lost. David Lloyd George, a former prime minister and member of parliament, admired Hitler and was convinced that Britain gained no chance of winning. In fact, he had even made the statement, and you can find it in some of his writings, he said that Hitler was the greatest living German ever. Harold Nicholson, a member of the British government, wrote to his wife during this time, said, we might be compelled to commit suicide. Joseph Stalin, the Russian uh, emperor, dictator that would be locked in a four-year death struggle with Hitler only a year later, had his foreign secretary congratulate Hitler on the defeat of France. It was a bad time. Most didn't understand, though, just the normal common people. Most didn't understand the peril that they faced. In fact, there was a poll that was taken by the Housewives Union And there in England, some of them had gotten to the point where the younger housewives said, we more or less will welcome Hitler here. It couldn't be any worse, and at least we would have our brothers and sons and fathers and husbands back from the war. One worker said this, I can't see that if the morale goes on the decline uh, anymore as it is now, then why would it matter if he comes? In fact, if you read some of the writings there, you will find that there were some women there in England that had had almost become to admire Hitler. He'd become a secret, mystical, astrological feature, or or figure, if you will, almost in a a romantic-type way. There were some there in England who would have greatly welcomed the greatest butcher of all time. But Winston Churchill stood firm, although... Privately, and if you begin to read his letters and you begin to read his, his diaries, you will find that, that down deep inside he was scared. His incredible appetite for food and drink was gone. And so here's where we come. In 1940, May 1940, half a million soldiers huddled there at Dunkirk. They were waiting death. They were waiting imprisonment. But it was at that moment, and I I will tell you that I have a lot of history, that I love history, and some of you do too. I've never seen this. I've never read it in any of the books I have, but the more you begin to study it, the more you see it. It was at that moment in May 1940 that churches in Britain called for a national day of prayer. They wanted to do it in April, but the Archbishop of Canterbury, uh, uh, Cosmo Gordon Lang, had opposed the proposal. He, He didn't want the call to prayer to be misinterpreted. I'm not exactly sure what that means, but... So they didn't do it. But finally, the deterioration of the military situation in France, King George VI and Winston Churchill and national leaders called for May 23rd a national day of prayer to be held on Sunday, 26th, 1940. On that day, church attendance skyrocketed. Westminster Abbey was full. They pleaded with God to spare their husbands, sons, and fathers. No one would ever have imagined how quickly God would answer their prayer for just 24 hours after that day of prayer. Adolf Hitler ordered his armies to halt. In fact, you can read it in some of the writings. His own generals could not understand why they were stopping. 
Neville Chamberlain, the former prime minister, wrote in his diary on May 26, this is the blackest day of all. Yet in reality, it was the turning point of the war. For at 7 o'clock that evening, an order was issued to attempt a desperate evacuation of Dunkirk. Hitler's armies remained stationary 15 miles away on the 24th, the 25th, and the 26th, even into the first week of June. Nobody knows why. John Lucas had gotten a hold of writings by, by Hitler and, and there's speculation that Hitler didn't want to risk unnecessary losses in a final battle. Others think that, that Hermann Goering, the, 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 the uh, Britain, or, uh, uh, Hitler's uh, uh, air, the, the Luftwaffe, uh, he wanted to get the credit for destroying the British and French armies. Hitler said, now whether he meant it or not, Hitler said he wanted to give Churchill a fighting chance. But I would like to tell you today that I believe the reason the German armies were halted was because the same God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that can stop the mouth of the lions during Daniel's night is able to hear the prayer of, of Britain. And so meanwhile, during those two days, or those three or four days, while uh, Britain's army stayed still, on May 29th, 47,000 soldiers were rescued in a ragtag armada of sailing boats and fishing boats and whatever you could get that would sail. On May the 30th, there were 53,000 that were rescued. On May 31st, 68,000. On June the 1st, 64,000. In all, there were 336,000 men that found their way to safety. General Ironside wrote this. I still cannot understand how the Germans allowed us to get our troops out of the way. It's almost fantastic to believe that we were able to do it in the face of the bombing and the gunning. Alexander Katagen, a permanent undersecretary at the Foreign Office, said this evacuation was a miracle. I'd like to tell you today that prayer still works. Sometimes we think of prayer only in our situations. But I'm reminded as I read these historical events, I'm reminded of, of, of the, the, the command that was given there in Deuteronomy. If my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will heal their land. All throughout the Bible, you can find this, and I'm going to read this very quickly. I just want you to hear it because I want you to be encouraged uh, right now, all throughout the Bible, you find phrases like this in Genesis uh, chapter 15 or 16, when when uh, uh, Ishmael and his his mother uh, was there. It says, "The Lord hath heard thine affliction." In Genesis 17, the God came down and and, and said, "As for Ishmael, I have heard thee." In Genesis chapter 21, the Bible says, And God heard the voice of the lad, and the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven. In Exodus, the Bible says that God heard their, their, their cry by reason of their bondage. In Exodus chapter 16, he says, I heard the murmurings. In Numbers chapter 11, the people cried to Moses. Moses prayed unto the Lord, and God heard him. 1 Samuel chapter 7. Bible says that Samuel cried unto the Lord for Israel and the Lord heard him. In 2 Kings chapter 20 that Isaiah had gone into the middle of the court and the word of the Lord came to him saying he said I've heard you 
Second Chronicles, the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said unto him, I have heard thy prayer. In the book of Psalms, you have phrases like this. I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and he heard me out of his holy hill. Psalm 6, verse 8, the Lord heard the voice of my weeping. Psalm 6, 9, the Lord hath heard my supplication. Psalms 10, 17, the Lord has heard the desire of the humble. Psalms 18, in my distress I called on the Lord and he heard my voice. My cry came before him. Psalms 28, he heard the voice of my supplication. Psalm 34, he heard me and delivered me from my fears. Psalms 34, the Lord heard him and saved him out of his trouble. Psalms 40, I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. Psalm 61, God has heard my vows. Psalms 106, I love the Lord because he heard my voice. Psalms 118, you heard me and have become my salvation. Psalms 120, in my distress, I cried unto the Lord and he heard me. Echoed over and over. Daniel chapter 10 and verse 12 says that the Lord came unto Daniel and said, Fear not, Daniel, from the first day that thou didst set to set thine heart to understand and chasten thyself before the Lord. Thy words were heard and I have come for thy word. I don't have time to go into all that but there was a period of time between the prayer of Daniel and the salvation of Daniel and God said even though time has, has gone by from the prayer and the answer I heard you the first time you called. Isaiah 59 1 says it so best. Behold the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. Neither is his ear heavy that it cannot.